Okay, let me move to the story this morning we're going to look at in Luke's Gospel. It's in Luke 12, 13 to 21, and um, we're doing a parable series. So Jesus told a whole bunch of parables, and we're looking at them over the course of this term. And actually, we're coming to the end of our parable series. So this is the penultimate parable we'll share from the front uh, in the series. And so take note, Jesus is saying this morning, because he wants us to live lives which are rich towards God. If you haven't got a Bible with you, if you've not got your phone, then it is, uh, it'll be coming up on the screen behind me. Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He then told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will be, I will, there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with those who stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Father, help me this morning as I share this message that has been so challenging to me this week. Help us receive it with hearts that are hungry to know you, desperate in need of you, and wanting God to be rich towards you. Amen. So I want to start recognising Jesus calls out greed in this passage. And the following passage, so what, what this passage flows into, is some teaching about anxiety. Greed and anxiety have in common um, something very simple. If you're suffering from either greed or anxiety, you find it very difficult to think of other people. To some degree, you've lost the capacity to consider other people's needs. And this morning, I really believe Jesus wanted to teach us whether if we're feeling greedy or we recognize greed in us, or we're recognizing anxiety in us, God has some answers to transform our hearts that would be people who are secure in God and those that in that through that security we're able to care for other people. And last week, we had Faye share with us. Faye lives in Holbeck. She preached on the parable of the talents. And she preached a really clear warning and also an encouragement. A warning not to waste your life and an encouragement to live a faithful life. A faithful life that looks like many small steps of obedience. Hearing God, obeying him. Really small steps, adding up to a faithful life. And this week, as I preach on this parable that's known as the parable of the rich fool, the text similarly reveals a warning. A warning, on one hand, not to be a fool, and an encouragement of how to be rich towards God. 
And if you're a visitor this morning, I'm so glad you're with us. I'm so glad you're sharing this time with us. We believe that Jesus, he is the Son of God. He came from heaven to earth and he uh, died, rose again. It's a festival we call Easter. And between his birth and his death, he taught some of the wisest teachings the world has ever known. These teachings are known as parables. And this parable we're looking at has three, well, this passage in which the parable sits has three clear sections. The first, it's the setup. It's the reason Jesus speaks this parable. The second is the parable itself. And the third section concludes with this really clear warning and encouragement. So as we set the passage in context, Jesus is teaching and a man interrupts him. If I were, you know, me teaching this morning, if you were to interrupt me, many of you would consider you rude. But this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is a man who's known as a great teacher already. Someone interrupts him. And Jesus is often interrupted. And in the interruption, he often deals with very clear compassion. The lady who reaches out and touches him, who is healed in an instant, she interrupts him. Jesus honors her. And throughout, you know, with the crowd in that story, he lifts her up in front of the society that she's been shamed by. In this, we see the interrupter gets a rebuke. But why did the man interrupt Jesus? Why did the man risk so much? He must have had a really serious issue. And he must have thought Jesus could sort it out for him. What had happened, the man had lost his father. And the, the estate of his father was going through probate. So it, the process by which the inheritance would be given out. The inheritance law of those times meant that land or property was as a unit given to the heirs. And they were to agree what kind of who got what or, or how they divided it, if even they would divide it. They might have just kept it as an estate that they would share in. And if there was disagreement on how it was being separated, the rabbis were the ones who were looked to to make the rule. They were to be the arbiters. And the problem is not the division of inheritance in this request. The problem is a will for this man who interrupts Jesus to serve himself rather than to serve God by serving others, by serving his brother. So that's a problem that Jesus cut straight through in his rebuke. He's really wise, is Jesus. Really wise and really compassionate. Because in this parable, this man is given some answers to his deeper problems, not just the problem of his inheritance. The man, someone said, someone in the crowd says, Teacher, reading from verse 13, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as judge or arbiter between you? Jesus' rebuke is clear. He's not come to divide. It's clever Jesus here uses the word divide, which is a play on words to mean reconcile or bring together. And as we enter this parable, Jesus wants everyone to lose listening to know he's not come to divide like the man wants him to. He's come to to reconcile us, to bring us together. Not, not just in our, as people, but with God. And this will be the means 
this reconciliation with God through which we receive healing from brokenness, which leads to greed or anxiety as problems in our life. So let's have a look. I want to I retell the story with you. And I'd like um, my two actors to come. Some may say these are Oscar award-winning actors. Can you give Way and Ransom a round of applause? Okay, just come and stand with me behind the table. Way that you on my right-hand side. So let me. So we have got two, um, we've got three characters in the story. We've got God, and I'll play the part of God if that's all right with everyone. And we've got a rich man, and the rich man, I'm making an assumption, wouldn't do the building work himself. The rich man would have a worker, and you know I think the rich man hopefully treats the worker well. Let's see how it goes in the parable. So. We've got this rich man. And now he may be a farmer, but certainly uh, he has a common profession in that he, his, he has an estate on which land is farmed. And because he's rich, we can assume that much of the preparing of the ground, the sowing of the seed ransom, the harvesting of the crops, he wouldn't do by himself. He'd have a kind of a, a worker or workers to do it. So the rich man sends his workers into the fields to do some really good digging, to prepare the soil. And then, after doing the back-breaking work of digging, he says, right, go and sow some seed. And one year, when the sun did shine over the fields in a great way, combined with the, the clouds giving some rain in the right, right way, he has an abundance of harvest. Here you go, Ransom. Pick the abundance of harvest. You see that Ransom show, um, sows grass seed and harvests apples. Such miracles are possible in God's kingdom. What a fantastic harvest the man has. And he decides he's going to store his grain to assure his future, leaving him to take it easy, to relax, and be merry. So the man makes up a plan. Put the hard hat on, please. Your clipboard is full of your plans. I think you've got it back to front, but it doesn't matter. And he says to his worker, tear down my medium-sized barn and build me a huge-sized barn. And this means the strategic decisions he's making, he can assure a life of comfort. And once the barns have been built, he places the grain inside. And he stands back and he looks impressed and pleased. But now God enters the story. And this is the only time, commentators say, that God is a character in one of the parables of Jesus. And what does God do? He declares it. You fool! This night... Uh, your life is demanded from you. You have to somehow fall back and die. Dramatic if you like. Or quiet. That's fine as well. <laughs> and he begs the question, this begs the question, who's going to inherit all of this? Because it's not the fool. It's not the fool. 
The desire for material things, Jesus says, will prove futile. The dreams of an abundant life will never be achieved by the abundance of possessions. Yet we're invited to live a life which is rich towards God. And we're going to spend some time exploring what that means for us to say. I'd like to give Ransom a round of applause. Thank you for playing the part of the worker. And I just want to honour Way and his wife, Becca. They've been with us a long time. And uh, today's their last Sunday with us. And they're going to head down and uh, start a new life in Cardiff where Way has work. And we uh, just want to honour you and thank you for being part of our family. We've hugely benefited and have loved being part of uh, your life as you've grown in knowing God together and as part of our church. So can we give them a round of applause? And so let's spend some time figuring out what this means because Jesus sees in the man who wants his inheritance. It's a cry from the man for some self-serving justice, that he'd have fairness. And actually what Jesus sees is the man's brokenness. And Jesus and his teaching that we've seen shows us and there's an answer to bring wholeness into this man's life. This self-centered cry for justice is understood by Jesus as a symptom of sickness. And he refuses to answer the cry, but rather addresses some healing of the sickness that produced the cry. Jesus here is being so kind to the man. Jesus is challenging not only a greedy way of living, but he's also challenging a heart attitude that believing that security can be found in our material possessions and there is his challenge is to bring healing to a sick heart condition what a heart condition that we may this morning identify ourselves with and you may find it really challenging what I'm going to be sharing but Jesus is sharing this confronting greed and confronting anxiety and uh, his desire is that we live whole lives that serve other people and are rich towards God remember Jesus tells another parable earlier on it's recorded in Matthew involving two men who are building on different foundations one, a fool builds on what? sand And then his house falls flat when the rain comes. The wise man, as he's known, builds on rock, solid foundation. And so when the rain comes, his house stays standing. And Jesus interprets that parable. He says the way to live as a wise man is to hear Jesus and his words and put it into action. So it's a call to build wisely listening to Jesus' words and obeying them. It isn't actually about whether we build our foundations on on Jesus in that sense of kind of his security and who he is. the, the, The wise man who builds his life on rock hears and obeys. That's what wisdom looks like, Jesus says. And so this parable we're studying today is a call to build wisely and not be a fool. Building wisely or wise living, Jesus says, is about being moved to action 
having heard from God. Now, I just wanted to um, display with a picture. Oh, that's Catherine, who does the slides for me on a Friday. That is fantastic. Thank you. That's exactly what I pictured in my mind. The way of the fool is built on a lie. You can see that lie in the foundations is that my future is secure in my possessions. That was Wei's character. That's what he believed. Remember, Jesus being kind to those who have sickness of heart. And their diagnosis of this fool is he's trying to be secure by what he's laying aside in, in the bigger barns that he's putting down. What does this look like in our lives? I, I think you, I want you to allow yourself... What does, what are you doing in to make your future so secure in what you're doing now? But and it, one, one example, I'm not against pension funds, but I'm against pension funds if that's where we feel our security is going to come from. Because pension funds, like after the crash in 2008, some pension funds were absolutely decimated. It's really clear to see. Our future cannot be placed in that kind of security. Because it's not really secure. The way of the fool is built on this lie that his future is secure in his possessions. We know it's a lie because God demands his life from him. A statement proving the futility of the lie he's building his life on. Please, let's not be a fool and live like him. And upon this lie are blocks of self-reliance and which, which says, I've got this sorted. I have got this sorted. And material assets, and that says, this is the stuff that I need. This is the stuff I need. So I've got this sorted. This is the stuff that I need. And on top of that, greedy life is born. He gives no credit to God for this gift of an abundant harvest. He doesn't answer his own question of what shall I do? with an answer that says, I'll visit the temple and bring an offering to God, which would have been uh, purely appropriate for a Jew living in those times. He builds on self-reliance. He also builds with his material assets. He stores grain up, resources that will secure his uh, a life of comfort for many years. And these building blocks are built on by his response, that of a generous life towards himself. And this is what Jesus calls greed. He doesn't invest his wealth in his workers that work so hard for him. He doesn't share his wealth with the poor. Instead, he promises himself a life of ease and satisfaction in earthly things. He builds on the lie that his future is secure in his possessions. And he is called a fool. We don't use that word, do we, in our vocab, Really? I reckon if Jesus was telling this parable today, he'd call him an idiot. That's what he is. You're an idiot for living like this. And I've been forced to ask this week, as I've been preparing what I'm going to say this morning, where does my security come from? Where does it truly come from? And I found it really challenging. I have... Um, prepared a sheet for all of you to take away and do with it. I'll hand these out at the end. It has four boxes. Money, possessions, time and spiritual gifts. Four places where you can be rich towards God. And I thought it wouldn't be fair of you 
for me to ask you to do this work without me having done it myself. And I think about Emma and I and our finances and think, oh, uh, how does, what have I discovered this week as I've thought about how rich I am towards God? And I think last time I got a pay rise, I was really resistant to give any of it to God. I wanted it for myself. I wanted it for my, my future. I wanted it for my comfort. I think about some of my time that I have and how occasionally, sometimes more, sometimes less, less unwilling I am to be generous towards other people with my time. I feel I've worked too hard, hard enough today. Or I've worked really hard this week. Oh no, I, I, don't want, I don't want to care for that person right now. And I think how unwilling I am to share some of my possessions or give them away. In the time of this story being told, it was very unlikely that people would have IKEA wardrobes. They would probably have one spare kind of set of clothes. Just think of how many I have in my wardrobe. How willing, unwilling I am to consider what I need and what I want being two different things hugely challenging and one I you know I stand before you and say I've got it sorted please don't hear that's what I'm saying I hear Jesus's words to this fool and I think I don't want to be a fool in God's eyes I want to be wise I want to hear him and I want to obey but it's not as simple as just flicking a switch because there's there's greed in my heart that beneath that is reliance on myself and beneath that is there's a lie that's being being believed somewhere, that my future can be secure in what I build and what I store up for myself for the future. Does that make sense? Can you see that? Well, there's a, there's a wise way to live. A wise way which is the foundation block which all else is built on. And that foundation block, if you just flick on to the next slide, is that the future I have is securing God's provision. That's the truth. It's not a lie. That's the truth. My future is secure in God's provision. And on top of that, it, mean, it means he's got it sorted. The reliance on God, that's what it means. He's got this sorted. And dependence on what God gives me. What God gives me will be enough. He will supply my every need. He may not supply my every want. He'll supply my every need. So if I ask for daily bread, as Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, I trust God he's going to give it to me. And the fruit of this foundation is a different kind of generosity. Not generous to self, as the fool was, but generous to God. And the person who thinks security and the good life are to be found in material things, Jesus says, is an idiot. Sorry, that's what it says. Replacing idiot for fool. But an abundant life is found in treasuring up for God rather than for self. So this morning, where do you stand on this teaching? Where do you stand? Have things become a God of yours? Has greed crept in because you've replaced the reliance on God with the reliance on yourself and that you're trying to build security in your own possessions. 
Well, this question of how can we be rich towards God for sure can help us point to who God is. We're generous in response to what God has done for us. You see in verse 16, the abundant harvest that's given the man. Jesus is teaching a parable, sure, but he's teaching what is true. God gives good things to his children. He is the provider. He is the generous one. Philippians 4.19 says, And God will supply, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young church in Philippi. He's saying, God's got what you need. He'll supply it. He's the provider. He's the one who has countless resources and knows you. Secondly, how can we rich, be rich towards God? So first, be generous in response to what God has given us. Secondly, we can trust God for our security because he has secured our future. He has secured our future. How has he done this? Well, Jesus' parable, this wise teaching, he, he finishes teaching, he's then spends some time with disciples, and then he's betrayed by one of his own. He's betrayed by one of his own and ends up being uh, unfairly tried by Jews and then Romans allow the verdict of the Jews to stand and he's executed. He's executed on the cross. And at the cross, he doesn't just die an unfair death. Full stop. He dies for all the wrong the world has ever done. He takes it on himself. The wrath that should be ours to take, Jesus takes it. And he does so, so that our sin can be forgiven. That's our past can be forgiven. But he does so, so that our future can be assured. That one day, Jesus is returning. And every knee will bow, the Bible says. At the great and glorious King Jesus, who is above all things. Every knee will be forced to bow. Because what else could they do? And it's this Jesus who is building a future for us in heaven. That Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. There's a room in my father's house. There's a commitment from Jesus to go ahead of us and make a way for us to the father. And because we have that security in him, in what he's done, we can live a life that is secure now. And we can live rich towards God. Storing up for God our treasures. Our treasures being our daily acts of obedience. And it's just worth another way of saying worship. Whether we worship with our song, so, uh, singing and dancing now, or worship with your lives, it's storing up treasures. And when we read the Bible, we don't read it as separate stories. I don't want us to do that. I want you to read the flow, how they're written. We should always take notes of what comes before and what comes after. Jesus issues all his followers with warnings and encouragements in the previous verse of chapter 12, or the previous verses of chapter 12. Encouragement to be loyal followers, that passage says. 
an encouragement to be secure in trusting God knows and cares for you. Even the smallest details of your life. And then what follows the passage is a command to his followers. Do not worry. Do not worry. The parable we've looked at must contain the truth which helps us place our security in God. Which means we do not worry. They're, they're so linked. And I love what John and um, what Tom Wright says about these verses. Describing what the kingdom of God is like. What, this is what the teaching Jesus is ushering in. The way to live as a follower in Jesus' rule and reign. He says the kingdom of God is at its heart about God's sovereignty. He's in charge. Sweeping the world with love and power so that human beings, each made in God's image, and each one loved dearly, may relax in the knowledge that God is in control. May relax in the knowledge that God is in control. As we prayed at the start of the service, a number of us who sense God wanted to bring refreshment to people this morning. We need refreshing, don't we, church? We need his power to come and refresh us, to help us live like this, to refresh us, to believe that God is generous to us, he's given us what we need and will continue to do so. He will refresh us to this teaching that we can be secure in God and that we might relax in the knowledge that God is in control. And finally, how can we be rich towards God? Well, we can. being rich towards God is the same as living a God-first life. Storing up for things for themselves is what the man did, the fool did. That's what idiots do. Storing up things for God is what wise people do. So let me give you one of these. My... Um, my challenge to you is not to put this in your pocket and forget about it. My, my challenge is don't, don't put it in your pocket and forget about it. It's allow the truth of God to affect your heart and to challenge your, in application what you're going to do. So what does it look like for you right now to put God first? What does it look like with your money? with your possessions, with your time, and with your gifts. And in particular, I'm talking about spiritual gifts. The things that God has given you as a person to build his church. And with the truth of your future being secure in God's provision, dependence on God and security in God being in place in the life, you are building the perfect platform, the perfect foundation to live a life which is rich towards God where God is number one, where God is first in your life. So we come to a close. Take that, have a look at it. I don't mind if you want to jot some things down that you felt God speak to you about, what, you know, what obedience looks like for you, having heard me teaching on this parable. But make time this week. It might be you replace your Bible reading in a morning or an evening with that sheet. It might be that you, you, you take some time as you're meeting a discipleship triplet. Discipleship triplets in the church are, are close, deep relationships where we talk about what's really going on in life. 
and uh, you might decide to do that. But I'm going to spend. I'm going to pray for us now and invite the band back. Can we spend 20 minutes worshiping God together in response to Him and His the generosity He has shown us? So will you stand with me? Say thank you, Father, for being generous to us. Thank you, Father, that you're good, you're kind. Thank you, Father, that you promise to give us, you supply our needs. Thank you, you're trustworthy. Thank you, you're faithful. And we pray, God, as we meet now, as we spend some time worshipping, we would know um, that you're exalted, you're high, you're lifted up. And we would know, we would meet with you. We would know a, a refreshment that comes from heaven to us. Amen.